Jesus is the one who rescues and he saves. And this morning we have this opportunity to share in communion and to remember what Jesus has actually done in our lives and to apply that into our lives. Actually, what we do in communion is really focus in on the work of Jesus. Uh, sometimes on the beach with my family, I'll be taking a family photo, and we'll get the camera out. And obviously on the beach, there are a lot of things going on at any one time. There's other kids running here, maybe another family sitting here, maybe a surfer in the background. But as I take that photo, I will zoom in and I'll focus in on my child or my children to take that photo. Similarly, as we take communion, it is an opportunity to zoom in, to focus on the work of Jesus in, his, in our lives and what He has done for us. And it's a powerful thing actually to, to think of our lives as so many other different things going on, you know, whether it be our career, our family, our, our thinking, and even our feelings. In, in this moment, we have an opportunity to focus them in and to bring them into line with what has happened to us uh, or what God has done for us uh, on the cross. And as I do that, I wanna share a few scriptures from one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, that's Romans 8. And it will help us focus in on the work of Christ, but it'll give us um, confidence and encouragement for our, about our past, our present, and our future. Firstly, I wanna read Romans 8, 1. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It brings forgiveness into focus that as we remember what Jesus has done for us, there is no condemnation. Whether it's been something this week, even this morning, or even any time in our past, it says here, there's no condemnation for those in Jesus. We remember that our, our sins have been taken away. Now, further on in this passage in, in verse 31, it says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Uh, in our present, in our present challenges, in our present situations, it says in the scripture that we can be more than conquerors in Christ. And then later it says, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There's great confidence as we focus in on this about the love of God being with us in our present challenges or in our life circumstances. And then in verse 18, it speaks about our future hope. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So as we celebrate communion this morning, there's also this hope that we know of in the future, eternal life with God, a future glory that is incomparable to our present experience here on earth. So this morning as we share in communion together, I wanna to encourage us to focus in on the work of Christ in your life that you can know that through this, as we remember this, through the work of Christ, all sin is forgiven. We remember at this moment that God is with us in our present situation and circumstance. His love is for us. We are more than conquerors in Him. And then even as we think of eternal life, um, past this life, that there is a hope um, that God has for us waiting. 
So if you have your elements there, if not, just you can quickly uh, grab some elements, just some bread and juice as we remember what Jesus has done for us. You can go and grab those now, but I'm just going to pray as we continue on in this service. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the power of your word. I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done on the cross, the most amazing event in history that you've died and then risen again for us. And right now, Lord, we want to focus in on that. Lord, we bring our minds into line with that truth, our thinking in line with that truth, our hearts, Lord, that can be so, I guess, up and down through through life. In this moment, we we centre ourselves on you and your love for us, your presence for us and and with us in our current situation. And Lord, we want to thank you for the future glory that awaits those that are in Jesus as well, awaits us in the future, Lord, we pray. And thank you for that. So thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, this is my body given to you. Uh, He broke it. And maybe just grab your bread there. And as we do this, we remember his body broken for us. And Jesus also took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Uh, It's representing the forgiveness of sin that's come through the sacrifice of Jesus. Let's drink together as we thank Jesus Uh, for taking away all of our sin. Let's pray together. I want to thank you, Jesus, that that event uh, 2,000 years ago is still impacting us. Our hearts are still impacted by these amazing truths right now. And Father, just pray that, Lord, each one this morning will just know the freedom that comes from your forgiveness, the strength that comes from your presence and your love being with us in all circumstances, and the encouragement of the hope that we have in the future because of all that you've done for us. Lord Jesus, we praise you. Uh, You are amazing in the breadth and depth of the love, everything that you've done for us, Lord. And our heart now is, is one of worship, Lord. This is all about you. It's not about what we do, can do, or will ever do. It's all about you and what you've done. And we just want to thank you so much for that. And we worship you because of all that you've done, because of who you are here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Father God, we prayed it before, but we thank you again that you've made a way that we can sing those words with confidence to be a child of you, great God. We worship and honour you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's a real privilege and honour this morning just to welcome uh, Pastor Nathan Harris, our senior pastor, as he comes to bring God's Word. Uh, So would you give a huge hand? He can't hear you, but it'd be amazing to give him a hand as he comes to bring God's Word now. That'd be great. Thanks, David. And uh, I just want to add my welcome to you as well today. And it's really great to be sharing with you. Uh, Early on in the year before the COVID restrictions started, my wife, Andrea, and I had an opportunity to have a date night. That's a pretty big deal when you have five kids. So we decided that we would go to the movies. 
Now, we don't do this very often because there is a good chance if we go to the movies that one of us might fall asleep in the middle of it. But we decided to try this, to try going to the movies again. But the second dilemma we faced was deciding what movie to actually watch. There wasn't much on, but the new version of the movie Emma by Jane Austen had just been released. And uh, my wife wasn't really sure if I'd want to, um, you know, if I'd really enjoy watching a Jane Austen romance movie. And even worse, she thought it could be a little bit awkward, uh, a bit embarrassing for me, uh, you know, watching a, um, a movie like this as well if we sort of ran into anyone. But I assured her that I would be fine. I wasn't worried about that at all. Well, when we walked into the movie theatre, I am pretty sure I was the only guy in the whole cinema. And then to make matters worse, as we went to sit down at our pre-booked seats, who was sitting in the row right in front of us? None other than Angela Parry from church and her two sisters right there in front of us. I was sprung. Here I was watching a Jane Austen movie. A little bit awkward. Uh, My wife thought it was pretty funny that I'd never live it down and now I'm telling all of you as well. Well, the reason I tell that story is because today we are launching into a new series called Redeeming Love, looking at the book of Ruth. And this is a journey through one of the most moving stories in all of Scripture. It has all the elements of a love story. It has tragedy, loss, despair, triumph, hope, loyalty, romance. But it's not just a love story. It's a story within a story, a story part of a much greater story of which we are all a part of as well. It's a story within a grand epic tale of redemption, a tale of how God is redeeming a people for himself, bringing them from despair to delight, bringing them from hurt to hope. And you and I find ourselves in the middle of this incredible story. So we're gonna look today at Ruth chapter one, and we're gonna walk through this book chapter by chapter, four chapters over the next four weeks. And I want us to feel the tension uh, of this story as it unfolds and feel the tension that the characters in this story were feeling as well. Even if you're familiar with this story, I want you to just feel the tension as we journey through it step by step. The other part that we can miss when reading Ruth is that we are reading this book in English, in, in the English language, not the original language of Hebrew that it was written in. And the author of Ruth is a brilliant and a gifted writer. We are not sure exactly who the writer of Ruth is, but there are literary devices that he or or she uses throughout that brings to life things that we will miss if we're not careful just reading it in the English language. And so we'll try and bring and highlight some of these elements as well. So today, rather than read the whole chapter. I'm gonna read it through in sections that we're gonna look at today. A couple of other interesting facts before we do that about the book of Ruth is it's one of only two books in the Old Testament that are named after women. The other book is the book of Esther. And it's the only book in the Old Testament that is named after a non-Jew. So that should grab our attention right from the start. So let's jump in. Ruth chapter one, verse one. This is what it says. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. So let's just 
pause there for a moment because in looking at and understanding a story, we wanna know the time and the place so that we can understand it fully. And the time we are told is in the days when the judges ruled. Now, if you flick back one page in your Bible, not even flick a page, just look to the left of your Bible to the end of the book of Judges, you will see a description of this time. And and this description really sums up the whole of the book of Judges. This is what it says, Judges 21 verse 25. It says, in those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. That's a commentary right there of the entire book of Judges. So people are are, are running rampant in sin and everyone is following their own rule. It's a very dark time in Israel's history. And in Judges, we see this repeating cycle. The people are engrossed in sin and they turn away from God. And then as a result, they find themselves being attacked and oppressed by their enemies um, that are around them under the judgment of God. And so in desperation, they cry out to God for help. And in his grace, God raises up a judge to deliver them from their enemies. But then once again, they, once they've been delivered, they fall back again into sin. And the cycle starts all over again. And throughout Judges, this happens over and over and over again. And so this is the setting for the for the time of the book of Ruth. And so as we read Ruth, we are getting a little spotlight into this period of Israel's history. And scholars are not sure exactly where in the book of Judges this story is set, but something probably around Judges 10, somewhere around there is where this story is. And the other detail we have seen in these first few verses is the place where this story happens. We read that this story is taking place during a famine in the land of Bethlehem. Now that immediately gets our attention when we read that. Of all the Bible locations, Bethlehem is one of the most well-known. And even if you're new to church or new to the Bible, you have probably heard of Bethlehem in the context of the Christmas story as the birthplace of Jesus. And this is significant later on in the story as we're gonna see, but I don't wanna get too far ahead there today. But what is interesting to note here in this first section is that Bethlehem means house of bread. That's what Bethlehem means. But they are experiencing a famine. And so the house of bread has no bread. So what you have is the people of God in the promised land experiencing famine. Now, it's easy just to read this and to skip over the famine part because I'm guessing most of you who are tuning in, linking in this morning, have just, just don't know what it means to be without food completely, wondering what you're gonna eat, how you're gonna feed your children, to know literally what it means to be starving. Now, I know there are some in our church family who have experienced this, people who have moved from other nations particularly. I remember talking to one person a couple of years ago now who has experienced famine, and he was sharing with me how in the midst of the famine, how even a little grain of rice is of such great value and becomes so precious in this time and how having gone through a famine that um, it has marked his life forever. So these are desperate times. I want you to, to get hold of this. These are dark times in Israel's history. And what happens is that there is a man from the people of God who takes his family 
turns his back on the land that God had promised them and he goes into the land of all places, to the land of Moab. So let me give you a little background on Moab as well as we step into this today. You can read about the start of Moab in Genesis 19 when Lot had an incestuous relationship with his daughter. That's the beginning of the Moabites, to give you a bit of a a picture there. And when the people of God wanted to pass through Moab during their wandering in the wilderness, the Moabites said, no, you can't. Um, And there was this division between the Moabites and the Israelites that stretched back a long way. There was one point when um, Moabite women seduced Israelite men into immorality and idolatry. And because of this, God brought judgment and 24,000 people were struck down and killed. So this is the place that is known. This is, Moab is, is a place known for idolatry, for immorality. It's a shameful place. They're at war with the people of Israel. And this is the place where this Jewish man takes his family to. Now, before we come to critical and judgmental towards this man, how often in our own lives, when we are facing trials and pressures, and desperate times for ourselves, how often do we find ourselves taking things into our own, our own hands and turning to less than wise places and making rash and poor decisions and compromising in ways that later on we will regret and acting out of fear rather than faith. We are all prone to this, all of us, because when you're in desperate times, your vision becomes clouded, decisions Um, become fuzzy in this time and we so easily can make poor decisions. And so I wanna say to you this morning that if you are facing desperate or pressured times right now, and I know that many of us are in different ways, I want you to be aware of this as we open our hearts to God's word this morning, the truth of God's word this morning, I want you just to say, just to hear from God, not to make rash decisions that you will later regret or compromise out of fear, as hard as that may be in the midst of the circumstances and the pressures that might be coming at you from every angle, but don't respond out of fear, but instead respond in faith. And I sense that's for some particularly who are listening in this morning for you to take hold of that. But if we keep reading in verse two, it says this. It says, the man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were from the Ephaphrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. And they went to Moab and they lived there. So in setting up this story, we have a time and a place and now we have the people involved as well. The man's name was Elimelech and his name means my God is king, which is fairly ironic given his decision to not to trust God and to leave the promised land and to go to Moab. And the other interesting thing here as well is that, you know, this is set in the times of the judges when there is no king, but the first picture of a character we have in the story is called God is King. And in many ways, this sounds one of the main themes for the whole of the book of Ruth, namely that God is sovereign, his providence over all the situations and circumstances of life, that he truly is king of all the world. And if we keep looking, their son's names here are Malon and Kilion, and their names mean sickly and failing. Now, not the best names to give your kids, just a little tip there. Uh, I'm not sure what Elimelech and Naomi were thinking, but their names would be a foreshadowing 
of the unfolding of the story also and the tragedy that was about to strike, strike them as a family. So let's keep reading. It says this in verse three. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she, she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died and Naomi was left with her two sons, without her two sons and her husband. And just like that, a 10-year nightmare is summed up in three quick verses. No details, no explanation, just one tragedy built upon another tragedy built upon another tragedy. Elimelech died, we don't know um, how, we don't know what happened, but Naomi is now left a widow in Moab with two sons. But then her two sons, Malon and Kilion, both die. We don't know if they both died at the same time or at separate times. Was it an accident? Was it sickness? Was it murder? We are not told any of the details, but all of a sudden, Naomi looks around and her husband is gone. Her two sons are gone. She is in a home with two Moabite daughters-in-law and she has lost absolutely everything. She has lost her security. She has lost her family. She has lost her providers, and she has lost hope. And to heighten this whole picture is the fact that Naomi is not only a widow and not only without sons, but her daughters-in-law are childless. There are no grandchildren, which means no descendants, which means no one to carry on her family line. And this is the curse of all curses in ancient Israel. So I want you to try and, and capture, to enter into the depth of the despair here in this story. We're just five verses in and it's really already incredibly heavy going. But then in verse six, there is this glimmer of hope that appears. Let's keep reading. It says this in verse six. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, and she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. And this is a microcosm of what we're gonna see in the whole book. What we're gonna see is that there is darkness and in the midst of darkness and hopelessness, a light of hope coming in God, his faithfulness, his provision. And this is the picture that we see. He had visited his people in Israel. He had given them food. And so Naomi prepares to return home to Bethlehem. And this theme of returning home is very strong in Ruth chapter one. We read um, the words returning home and coming home multiple times again and again throughout this chapter. And you can't help but read it and when you, when you understand this and see the parallels with the story of the prodigal son returning home to the father in Luke chapter 15. And, and this was a big decision for Naomi to decide to return home in this honor and shame culture. She was returning home in many ways, in humiliation and in, and in shame. And often when we have gone our own way, it can be very hard to return home. It can be hard to return home because of our pride. It can be hard because of our guilt and shame. It can become hard because of our fear or worry about what others were gonna think of us. 
But throughout the scriptures, we see this theme of our heavenly father not treating us as our sins deserve, but rather a father full of grace and compassion, abounding in love with his arms open wide, running down the road to greet us as we return to him. And he's just there with arms open to welcome us home. And I love the words of 1 Peter 3.18, which say this, says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you home safely to God. Isn't that a powerful truth? This is God's heart for all of us, to bring us safely home to himself. And maybe as you are listening today, you feel like you are a long way from home today. Maybe like Naomi, you feel like you are in the land of Moab. And maybe you wonder whether you can come home to God. Maybe there's thoughts going through your mind. You wonder, could I come home? Well, I want you to hear the answer today because the answer is a resounding yes. You can come home to your heavenly father today. This is God's heart. We read in verse 11 as we continue in the story, it says, but Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I gonna have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And a little background here, in, in Deuteronomy, God had set up a way for widows in these situations to be provided for, people like Orpah and, and Ruth. And what it was, was that if your husband died, then what would happen is that his brother would then take responsibility for caring for you and you would be cared for by your husband's brother. And the picture here though we see is that both sons have died. There is no brother to care for Orpah or for Ruth. No family to care for them. Naomi has nothing in this situation. And so she says, hypothetically, Naomi says, even if I was married, which I'm not because my husband died, even if I was pregnant at this moment and about to give birth to a child right now, you still would not be able to wait long enough for him to grow up till he's able to actually care for you. And so she says, you can't come with me. You, you have nothing. If you, if you stay here, you at least have a life. You have a family, so stay here is what she says. And it's a pretty convincing argument. And then she brings it to a climax at the end. She says, the Lord's hand has gone against me. And the implication is, Naomi says, if you stick with me, the Lord's hand is against you as well. This is a pretty convincing argument to these two daughters-in-law. And the author says that they wept aloud again in this moment. And again, just to feel the depth of emotion here, all that these Ladies have been through together the loss, the heartache, the despair that they have endured. And I want you to see in these verses that Naomi at this point has lost all hope. In verse 12, I don't know if you picked it there, but it says, even if I thought there was still hope for me. That were Naomi's words. She's saying at this point, she said, I have lost all hope to Orpah, to Ruth. And that is a desperate place to be because we are unavoidably, irreducibly hope-based creatures. 
I read an article some time back that was titled, Hope is an Essential Part of Life. It said this, it said, humans seek after hope like moths seek after light. It's intrinsic to who we are. And neuroscientists argue that hope is so essential to our survival that it's hardwired into our brains, arguing it can be the difference between living a healthier life versus one trapped by despair. It's said that studies show hopeful students get higher GPAs, that hopeful athletes perform better on the field and cope better with injuries. In one study of the elderly, those who said they felt hopeless were more than twice as likely to die during the study follow-up period than those who were more hopeful. It's pretty clear the article said, hope is a powerful catalytic and why Dr. Shane Lopez, the psychologist who is regarded as the world's leading researcher on hope, has claimed that hope isn't just an emotion but an essential life tool. And I know that for some of you linking in this morning, you can identify with Naomi. You feel like in this moment that all hope is lost. But I want you to see this morning, not from my words, but from God's word, that there is always hope in Jesus. No matter how dark or desperate your situation might be, there is hope for you. And the story of Ruth just is a testament to that today. And we're gonna see this in more details in the, in the coming weeks. One of my favorite scriptures is Romans 15, 13, which says this, it says, I pray that God, the source of hope, do you see that? It's God who is the source of hope for our lives. I pray that he will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is my prayer for you this morning. If you're in that place, I pray that you will experience hope in God today. Even if it's just a glimmer of hope this morning, that you'll encounter that through the revelation of his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we read in verse 14, it says that Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her, it says, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods, go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. And the next few verses are one of those really well-known, prominent passages of scripture that is packed full of love and devotion and loyalty and commitment. And there's a picture for us of God's covenant love towards us, his hesed love, his faithfulness towards us. It's a key verse in the story. This is what Ruth says. She says, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Now this is so strong, this is so profound, and this is one of those moments where everything changes. Everything changes in the story. Everything changes for Ruth, one of those moments in our lives where we make a decision that alters everything to come in the future for our lives. Think about what Ruth was leaving behind here. She was leaving behind her land, leaving behind her family, everything that was familiar to her, her religion, her gods, her security. She is giving her life completely to this widowed, childless woman. But more than that, 
she is actually giving her future completely to Naomi's God, to Yahweh. And as we're gonna see in the coming weeks, this is the most important decision that she will ever make in her life. And it's the same for each one of us. There are moments in our lives where we make decisions that change everything for us. These are moments in our lives where we make a decision that alters everything else to come for us for the future, not just for us, but for other family members and generations to come. And for some of you, that day might actually be today where you just like Ruth, you let go of your security, you let go of your gods, the things that you are putting your trust in, you let go of your past and you step out in faith, giving your future completely to God, trusting your life completely into his hands. This is the most important decision, the most life-changing decision that any person can ever make in this life. And I believe that, that for some, this today is your day to make that life-changing, future-altering decision. And in just a moment at the end of this service, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that, to make that decision today. But this is how chapter one finishes. It says this, Verse 18, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And as I read this last part, I was particularly struck by Naomi's words in verse 21. She said, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And she was bitter about this. But it reminded me of a series we did a few years back now called The End of Me by Kyle Ottoman. And one of the week's topics was, was called, was titled, Empty to be Filled. It was based on Matthew 5, 6, which says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. But the biblical principle was that our lives are like a vessel, a bit like this vase over here, that our lives are like this vase. Now, God longs to fill us, fill us with his abundant life, fill us with his presence, with his power. But so often when God wants to fill us, our life instead is already full, already crowded out by the things in this life that we are clinging to, the things that we are holding on to. And for all of us, it is different things. For some of us, we are holding on to things like our money, that's what we're putting our hope and trust in. For others, it's our pursuit of material possessions that crowds our life out. For some, it's a relationship that is filling our life up or just the business of life. For some of us, it's even a fear or worry that we are wrestling with, maybe a fear or a worry about the future or maybe even our past that we are hanging on to that is filling us up. But while we are full, God is unable to fill us. I love it how A.W. Tozer puts it. He says these words. He says, the reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. 
We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. And just like Naomi, often it takes for us to experience trials and challenges in this life before God is able to empty us of the things that we are holding on to. And I believe that in this season, it's been one of those seasons where God has been emptying, stripping away for many of us in this COVID season. But what Naomi doesn't realize yet is that although her life is empty, she is actually in the perfect position now for her to be filled, filled by the presence, by the power of God. And this is God's desire. God wants to come now that she is empty and to fill her, fill her with his abundant life, fill her with the power of his presence, fill her with life and joy and hope for the future. And this is God's plan and desire for each and every one of us. He wants to fill us. But before he can fill us, often we need to be emptied of the things that we are clinging on to, the things that are crowding out him in our lives. This is how this thought is put by the 19th century evangelist D.L. Moody. He says these words. He says, I firmly believe that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and self-seeking and everything in contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will come and fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition and self-seeking and the pleasure of the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. And I believe many a man is praying to God to fill him with I believe we ought to pray that he would empty us. There must be an emptying before there can be a filling. When the heart is turned upside down and everything that is contrary to God is turned out, then the spirit will come. God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. And so as we close this morning, in a moment, we're gonna sing a song. And I I wanna pray for a number of people. I wanna pray for some who I know are feeling pressured to compromise, to make a decision that you're gonna regret later, a decision that you're being pressured to make out of fear rather than faith. Well, I wanna pray for you this morning that God will help you that God will give you strength and courage in this moment, that you'll be able to trust him. For others, some of you, God is calling to come home today. You know you've been far away from him and he's calling you to come home. I wanna pray that you will understand that you'll grab hold that God is a God of compassion and love. He has his arms open and longs to welcome you home. For others, you need hope today. You feel like Naomi, that you've lost all hope. Well, I wanna pray today for you that that God, the source of hope will fill you completely with joy and peace as you turn to him and trust in him. And for others today, I believe it is your day to make that life-changing decision just like Ruth. That decision that will alter your future as you leave your past behind, as you turn to God, as you place your faith and trust in Him and look to Him as your Saviour and Redeemer, just like Ruth. And so we're gonna bow in prayer right now in these moments. Let's bow together in prayer. And just as we're bowed in prayer in these moments, these are moments just to respond to what the Spirit of God is saying to us. And firstly this morning, I wanna just lead those who know that this is your day to make that decision 
that life-changing, future-altering decision to turn from your past, to turn to God, to acknowledge that he is your redeemer, that he is your king. If that's you today, you'll know because now just as we're bowed in prayer, you will sense the spirit of God speaking to you. Your heart beating as you know, it's not me speaking, it's God speaking to you. So now I wanna lead you in a prayer and I just want you to pray this simple prayer and by this you're marking this as your day to make this decision. So you just pray this prayer in your own heart, in your own mind as I pray this prayer now. Lord God, I acknowledge that you are king and today I turn away from my old life. I turn away from the things I've been trusting in and looking to and I turn to you. Today, I wanna place my faith and trust in you as my savior and as my redeemer. Thank you for your love and grace and forgiveness made possible through Jesus and all he has done for us on the cross. I ask you now to come and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your presence and your power to live as your child. And Lord, I wanna pray for any who have prayed this prayer right now that you will fill them, Lord, with the joy of your salvation, the awareness, Lord, of your presence, your power made available with them. Fill them with hope, I pray, right now. And Lord, I wanna pray for those who are feeling pressured to compromise, make a decision, Lord, out of fear rather than faith. Lord, bless them, strengthen them today, I pray. For those you are calling home, Lord, I pray they just turn to you in these moments and experience the the welcome home embrace, Lord, that you offer to us as your children. For those who need hope today, Lord, I pray that you, the source of hope, will fill them completely with joy and peace as they trust in you, that they would overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray. And Lord, I ask, Lord, just for your blessing, we thank you for these words of truth, to us today and we ask for your blessing on each one now in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna sing this song that speaks of God's faithfulness to us and uh, His sovereignty over all the circumstances of life. So let's join together as we sing and continue to respond to God's Word this morning. Father, we thank You so much for Your love, Your faithfulness, Your grace, great God. And what an encouraging word for us uh, this very morning of your faithfulness. And thank you, Lord, that your word promises you'll never leave us nor forsake us. We love you heaps, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' Name, Amen. Hey, uh, it's been so good to have you here with us this morning. I do just wanna say this as well. Tonight, we've got a special service. We're gonna be interviewing Liz Perry, and she was right in the front line in Italy uh, during COVID, uh, working in that makeshift hospital there. And so if you wanna hear her journey and her story, it'd be great to have you online with us tonight as well. Uh, But God bless you so much. If you responded at all this morning, feel free to reach out to us at hello at bridgman.org.au, and we'd love to get in contact with you. But have an amazing week. and we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for joining with us for our service today. If you sense God speaking to you or you'd like to find out more, we want to help and encourage you on your journey of faith. You can reach out to us via our website or email hello at bridgman.org.au. And don't forget, if you have a prayer need, we'd love to pray for you. And you can fill in a prayer card on our website or email prayer at bridgman.org.au. I'm praying God's blessing for you this week and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.